Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, we are welcoming back one of my favorite people. His name is Mark Anthony, who is known as the Psychic Lawyer. He was first on our show on episode 124, where he told his story of being a successful attorney turned practicing medium. Recently, Mark was featured on the Emmy Award-winning TV show called The Doctors, and he's in an upcoming miniseries about a mysterious cold case. He is the author of the best-selling and very highly rated books, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. Mark is regularly featured on major TV and radio shows, and he's a headline speaker nationwide. In fact, Mark will be a speaker in Seattle coming up the end of August at two events, including the 2018 IANS Conference, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and he'll also be a keynote speaker at the Afterlife Symposium in September in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can find out more about Mark his books, his upcoming appearances, all on his website, which is evidenceofeternity.com. Mark Anthony, a warm welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much, Sandra. I always enjoy talking to you. We never have any lack of things to talk about. It's always so much fun. I know, I agree. And I remember last September where we met eye to eye, face to face, in person for the first time. And I just felt like I've known you all my life. And I just am delighted that you're my friend and that we're talking again today. So thank you. Oh, super. It's great being here. And uh, and it's been quite a busy year. Uh, I've got so much going on. And uh, I know you do too. And you know, it's amazing, Sandra. And, and I want to say this not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of the listeners. It's really been uh, very gratifying for me to see your star rising and how popular your show has become. So congratulations. And I know um, you put a lot of hard work into it because success just doesn't happen. It, it requires a lot of hard work. Oh, thank you for that. And it isn't a case of doing what I love and the success is following. Um, somebody told me I had to do this as a job, forget about it. But because I love this topic and I love meeting new people and sharing these stories and, you know, I'm one of the listeners. I think that's why it's become popular. And we're just real people. And I think it's great that we're not here to sell anybody on anything and we can just authentically share our stories. So I think that's why it's become a good show. Well, I think that's very important, if, uh, particularly in our field, in the metaphysical and the, the paranormal realm, um, because instead of telling people, you have to believe this, and, and what I like is um, your approach involves, you know, you're a skeptic, but you approach this with an objective scientific method where you are here to observe things present the interviews and the evidence and then let the audience decide and that's the way it should be instead of believe what we're telling you um because uh there you know there are some things in the metaphysical world and i see other practitioners and i simply don't believe what they're selling or what they're doing um other ones uh, open my eyes to to new schools of thought so i think it's um, uh, very important to keep an open honest and objective platform i agree I definitely agree. And I think from anybody, there's always gold to be taken. There's always good advice. Take what fits. And it's kind of like going to a dress shop, trying on some new clothes. There's going to be things that fit and you want to take home with you and other things that don't. Um, but take the things that you can use to empower you in your life because we're on our different journeys. And what works for some might not work for another. 
but we're both here to help empower others. Well, super. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Mark, would you mind just giving us a little review of who you are and how you got to be the psychic warrior? <laughs> and just to remind, this is episode, believe it or not, 270. And you are first on episode 124. So I invite the listeners to go back, uh, type in episode 124, We Don't Die Radio, Mark Anthony, and you can hear the full story. But if you don't mind, just give us a, a review of who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, sure. Um, you know, a lot of people take pause when they hear the psychic lawyer. And what it is, um, I was born into a family where psychic and mediumistic ability appears to be a, a very healthy, recessive genetic trait. Both of my parents had these abilities to perceive spirits. In fact, uh, it's been documented, uh, Sandra, back to the 1890s. Uh, the psychic ability in my family, my uh, maternal great grandmother uh, Giovanna Senna, she she was um, she emigrated from Italy, and in the Italian American community of New York, she was known as the woman who knew things. And about a year and a half ago, PBS did a special called the Italian Americans. It was a two night special, and there was a, about a fifteen minute segment, and they focused on Giovanna and her metaphysical abilities. Oh, that's great. It, yeah, it's it really wonderful because you know I had the stories in the family, and then we're seeing it documented with pictures and 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 all that. And then on my dad's side of the family, we can track it back to um, to about about the eighteen nineties. Um, my father was uh, um, one of the first Navy SEALs. And uh, then he was also a NASA engineer. My mother was an artist and a commercial illustrator. So, you know, it's not like they were going around with turbans on their head going, we see future and talk to spirit. You know, they, they you know, we were a middle class American family in central Florida near the Space Center because my dad's uh, work in aerospace. Um, it's just that I grew up in a family with uh, with these abilities. And when I was about three and a half, I started seeing spirits. I also um, not long after that. Uh, had a near-death experience uh, where I died, and and um, um, I went into the light, and I had to be resuscitated. It was in an ambulance where I was resuscitated. So I was always drawn to the spiritual, and it wasn't unusual in my childhood and my my teens for us to openly discuss uh, perceiving spirits and psychic abilities, and. You know, Sandra, I was really drawn to the clergy, which is not an unusual thing for people in uh, with these type of gifts because, you know, you want to understand it better. But something told me that wasn't the way to go. And, and the funny thing is, Sandra, I thought, well, going into, you know, being a Catholic priest or being a minister, too many rules and regulations. So what did I end up doing? I go to law school. As, <laughs> as if there's not a lot of rules and regulations there. Right. But, but uh, the focus and, and the reason I went to law school is that um, I like the intellectual pursuit of it. I like the idea of advocating for people that are being pushed around by you know large corporations, entities, and that sort of thing. But I think that forces at work directed me there. And here's why. I am an evidential medium. And as an attorney, you have to use evidence to prove your case. And as a medium, I have to present verifiable facts and evidence transmitted to me by spirits so that the authenticity of the contact can be verified. So both jobs depend on evidence. Both jobs also depend on getting people through the most difficult times of their lives. And then it got to a point 
where my mediumistic abilities intensified so strongly that I went um, completely into doing this, although I still appear on TV and radio as a legal analyst, paranormal expert, and of course as a psychic medium. Um, and um, I know you, you um, mentioned on the, the, uh, the introduction that I was on the doctors mm -hmm. and then, then in an upcoming cold case. Um, I'd like to talk about that if that would be okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so in uh, 2017, I appeared on uh, the CBS TV show, The Doctors, and they asked me to do a reading for this family whose daughter, Allison, Allison Feldman, uh, brutally raped and murdered in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. <clears throat> Case hits a dead end. So I'm doing the reading, and some I, I kept getting information that the police were screwing up on the DNA evidence and they needed to expand the parameters of it. And the, and the father kept saying, well, they have the DNA. I said, no, they have to expand the parameters. I said, also, they're going to catch the guy um, because he's going to screw up on another case. So they're going to catch him when he's in jail, but not on this charge, on another charge. And then there's several other things that I got which were verified. I got that uh, I kept saying Allison talks about her left hand. She was left-handed. Uh, she was focusing on her father's heart. He has a heart condition. I kept saying Tuesday she was murdered on a Tuesday. I mean, I could go down the, the list of verifiable facts. Long story short, after the show, the father went back to the Phoenix Police Department and says, you need to re-examine you know, re the DNA evidence. Well, there's a new DNA test. Only 12 states are using it. It's called familial DNA. And what it does is it expands the parameters of, of a DNA search to family members to see if, if uh, they can find a match of someone that could possibly be related to the DNA at the scene of the murder. Well, they did this the very first time it was ever used in Arizona was on Allison Feldman's case, and it zeroed in on this uh, guy that was in jail for, I think, molesting a child. And so, so the police are looking at him, and then his brother gets a DUI, not just a regular drunk driving charge, but like a third or fourth. So the police got a blood test, and while the guy was on jail, bingo, direct match between the DNA of his brother, the one at the scene, and uh, um, Allison's murder. Amazing. And so they arrested him this year, and it's because they broadened the parameters of the DNA test. Now, it gets even better because they kept saying, well, who did this? Who did this? And I kept getting two names. I kept getting uh, Franklin and Terrence, okay? And so they go, some guy named Frank Terrence or Terrence Franklin? Well, it, spirit contact isn't texting or instant messaging. Right. The very first time familial DNA was ever used, um, Sandra, was in California to catch the grim sleeper serial killer, whose name is Lonnie Franklin. Okay? Mm -hmm. In 2018, in the state of New York, a guy named Terrence Phillips is challenging the validity of the familial DNA test. So the two names, Franklin and Terrence, they may not have been the killers, but they were um, the first time it was used and now someone who's actually trying to, to challenge the validity of this test. And there's several other things, but, but, you know, it's very satisfying, even though it took, you know, the better part of a year, um, that that information that I provided at least put the police in the right direction. They use this brand new DNA test, and presto, they find this 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 
creature that right. that murdered this uh, woman. And there's more things that I got that haven't yet been released because um, I kept talking about emails, and everyone was assuming it must have been Allison's emails. I'm thinking that this guy may have been emailing somebody um, or saying something about about Allison because she was a pharmaceutical drug rep. Okay, so we got a four-time DUI loser, alcoholic dr- junkie, mm-hmm. and he rapes and murders a pharmaceutical rep. Gee, I wonder what he was looking for. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Here's the really creepy thing is that Allison lives on the same street that this uh, guy's girlfriend did. And the girlfriend uh, had an injunction for protection against him because he physically abused her. So we know that the guy has a history of abuse and treating women as bad as as you possibly could. Mm -hmm. So so that that was very – uh, satisfying. Um, the other uh, TV show that I'm going to be in premieres uh, Saturday, uh, August 11th on the Oxygen Network. I can talk about it now. I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but now that it's coming on TV, it's called The Disappearance of Crystal Rogers. And uh, NBC owns Oxygen. And Crystal Rogers it was um, a 30-year-old mother of five children who mysteriously disappeared in Bardstown, Kentucky. And um, I could go on and on. We could do the entire show just on this. But suffice it to say, I got the name of the prime suspect. I um, I started seeing the shape of the property. I said there's a shape of a, um, a piece of land that's shaped like a trapezoid near a small lake. And I kept getting redwood, redwood, redwood. Well, guess what? Allison disappeared on this property, which happened to be they pulled up a map afterwards shaped like a trapezoid. It's adjacent to this little lake and it, it abuts Redwood Road, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. And I kept talking about a fire right after that. Well, the prime suspect was her boyfriend, and she disappears. And, and surprisingly, he owns all this property, and there was a mysterious fire on his farm a couple days after Allison passed. So it looks like um, – and, and there was police involvement because his brother was on the police force. And um, – and, and it, it, there's a lot of very macabre things going on there. So then Crystal's father, he was getting nowhere with the local police, started conducting his own investigation. And he started – all roads were leading to, to the prime suspect whose first name is Brooks. So he's out hunting a one early morning with his grandson and all of a sudden he drops dead because a sniper takes him out. And so now – uh, Crystal's father gets murdered by somebody with a high-powered rifle. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's part of of uh, the mysterious disappearance of Crystal Rogers and a very, very macabre case. So, I've been extremely busy, and uh, I'm certainly open to to working on cold cases uh, with people. But that's that's just one of the things that I do. Um, anyway, so, so you asked, tell us a little bit about yourself. I think I told a lot about myself. Oh man, you sure (laughs) did. But it's, it's so great because it, as great as being a psychic medium is to helping people who are grieving and things like that. I mean, this is really proactive helping in so many other ways. I mean, getting answers. I can't imagine being a parent and not having any answer as far as the disappearance or death of my child and to be able to help give peace of mind 
you know, you can't bring somebody back, but you can certainly give evidence that they're still around um, and just give the family some answers, not a, let alone catching the bad guy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, arresting the killer and even if uh, he he's sentenced to death, which, you know, takes 20, 30 years before they actually impose it, it certainly does not bring back um, your child, you know, your your mom, your your sibling, your best friend who's who's been killed. But um, justice must be served. And one of the things that I found as a psychic medium is that there is a law of balance in the universe, and karma never loses an address. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually um, uh, going to be a, a chapter in my new book um, that I'm working on now. So, um, um, but... But uh, people may think that you can get away with a crime, and maybe if our legal system doesn't get you, you will have consequences, whether in this world or um, in the, the next incarnation. Because my research, and one of the things that I spoke about last year at IANS, International Association of Near-Death Studies, and also at the AREI, the Afterlife Symposium, was about reincarnation. And every everybody that's had a near-death experience believes in reincarnation when they come out of it. Yes. And, you know, yeah, in our in Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, tradition, there's heaven or hell, um, but that's not not really the case. In fact, at the root of all those religions, there are passages and um, fringe. I don't want to call them fringe, but let's say more enlightened elements in all of those those three religions which actually do embrace reincarnation, which makes a lot more sense than being condemned to this eternal pit of fire and, yes. and, and all that, you know, because, you know, life is an energy is an eternal thing. Um, not even death can kill energy. So, um, so we come back through, you know, various lifetimes. And if you think that you're going to get away with everything, um, you are sadly mistaken. Right. And, you know, I was just watching you, on something on the internet where you were talking about energy and you were talking you're talking about a cell phone um can you talk a little bit about that because so many <laughs> of the skeptical minds think you know when you're dead you're dead and i'm like well you cannot see these internet signals and i my day job is i work with race car teams and i'm a chef and my mom and i own a catering company and we feed them and at this last race we had in wisconsin there were so many race cars going around the track and so much interference that my phone couldn't even make a phone call, couldn't send a text message. And I'm thinking there is something happening in this invisible space that's very, very real, even though I can't see it. Well, we know from the laws of physics that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only transferred. That isn't a theory. That is a law of physics. And so energy gets transferred from one form to another. And we now know that there is an elect, you know, our, our body has an electromagnetic field. Um, we know our heart has an electrical field. Certainly our brain does. And in, in the realms of spirituality, we refer to that as the soul or the spirit in psychiatry, psychology, and, um, 
uh, near-death experiences is referred to as consciousness, and in the realm of physics, it's referred to as quantum consciousness, the quantum electromagnetic field in your brain. So when you die, think of your brain as like a computer hard drive, and if the hard drive crashes, the data, the uh, energy on it gets uploaded to you know the cloud. And the joke I make is it goes to Dropbox if you're Catholic and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Microsoft Cloud if you're Protestant. But you know, I'm funny. simplifying that. But but um, we never die, and that quantum field stays coherent. Well, recently I spoke at the Vale Symposium, and it was quite an honor to be asked to to speak there. And, and I actually gave the presentation on reincarnation. And this one gentleman, very intelligent guy, goes, "Well, how do I know that when I die, the electrical field of my brain just doesn't disperse? You say it stays coherent. I go, that's because I talk to those coherent." Uh, energy fields on a daily basis. I talk to dead people every day, pretty much. I mean, occasionally I take a day off, but but the fact of the matter is, when we die, the electromagnetic field in our head, our soul, our consciousness stays coherent. And I believe, and and this is not just a belief. This is what uh, uh, people like Gary Schwartz and and Mark Pitstick and and other scientists and Jeffrey Long and Evan Alexander in this field believe. Um, and have found in their research that our soul, our spirit, is like a drop of water. And when it leaves the body, it plunges into this vast eternal sea. Therefore, now it's energetically intertwined and interconnected with kind of everything everywhere. Okay, But as I wrote in my book, Evidence of Eternity, there's the collective consciousness disconnect, which means that you can disconnect from the collective consciousness in order to communicate. The gift that God gives us, whatever you want to call God, the source, the light, the, you know, the infinity, the electromagnetic field, quantum entanglement, whatever you want, whatever label you want to call the infinite power, um, that, that infinite being's gift to us is our individuality. So even though we interface with all of these other spirits and entities, we maintain our individuality. And then... So we leave our, our body, we go into this um, this eternal sea of consciousness, and then that consciousness can reattach to a new host, meaning a fetus. And that is the scientific theory of what reincarnation is. So when a woman becomes pregnant and uh, all of a sudden you know, a cell starts dividing and then a brain begins to form, the consciousness, the electromagnetic soul, is capable of attaching to the brain of a fetus, ergo that is reincarnation. And the, the, the fascinating thing is where is this other dimension between lifetimes? You and I would refer to it as the other side. String theorists would call it an alternate universe. And, and that's the whole, whole point of string theory, or one of the points of string theory, is that there's not just one universe. There are multiverses, and we pop back and forth between them. Interesting. Now, here's a question. Should somebody reincarnate, could you as a psychic medium still access them in the psychic cloud to do a connection. I've had parents whose child has say, been killed or deceased and they're afraid they jump into another body and they won't be able to get a message from them. 
I was hoping you would ask that question. I, I, I it's, it's, a, it's a good one, too, because people say, well, if you've reincarnated, and, and uh, how can I talk to the spirit of somebody I love? Well, we are multidimensional beings, which means that there's more to us than just the body. We tend to be very biocentric. We think that our body is who and what we are, when actually we're much more than that, and energetically we're connected to the cloud. So think of our higher self, the um, the, the uh, energetic aspects of, of our higher self as being a librarian. And the librarian has read um, the book The Diary of Anne Frank, The Godfather, uh, War and Peace, uh, The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, you know, that's just yeah. an, a, an example I use in Evidence of Eternity. The librarian knows all the characters, although the characters don't necessarily know or are aware of each other. So if you want to talk to Anne Frank, who's died, but she's now reincarnated as, you know, Don Corleone, okay, mm -hmm. you, can get, you can get in contact with the higher self. Now, people say, oh, that sounds like hooey, but then that gets into the Schwarzfield quantum lattice theory. And what that means is, is that we're never all here at one time. Scientists have long suspected that um, subatomic particles like electrons, they, in fact, they've, uh, they've been able to reproduce this in a laboratory. An electron will disappear from one location, then reappear in another location without traversing, in other words, going through the matter in between. And it appears that it's going, it's making a quantum leap, in other words, a shift to another frequency, to another dimension. So those days that you don't feel like you're all there, you know, when you wake up in the morning and no amount of coffee kind of gets you to mm -hmm, kick in, mm -hmm. well, you're not all there. You never are. And, and then when your body dies, that electromagnetic field makes that quantum leap to the other side. So if that's going on all the time, what that means is that our energy is popping back and forth in this world and another dimension, ergo the librarian. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. And I think it's super cool. I think a mistake we all make is trying to understand this whole world of the universe with, you know, what we have as human beings. And, and we're so much more that we can't, we can't fathom it, you know? Um, well, well, sure. And, and a lot of people, when I explain that, they go, I, I can't wrap my head around it. It's like, well, don't stress out. It's a very, very complex concept. It's like trying to understand infinity. Always was, always will be. Right, figure um, out. The idea that the universe, yeah, it's like our mind can't do that. Mm -mm. Actually, our brain can't. Our soul can once it's released from the confines of the hard drive because then we revert to this purely energetic infinite state. But our brain is not designed to comprehend infinity. Now, my understanding based on the communication with spirits is because while living in the material world, our world, it's considered a privilege, although a lot of days it doesn't seem like that. Or if you look like, you know, look at a child, uh, you know, suffering with cancer or somebody, you know, yes. struggling with paralysis, how could that possibly be a privilege? <sighs> um, and, and I'm sighing because I, I definitely under, understand that, um, but we experience things in the material world that we cannot in a purely energetic state. Energy doesn't get tired. It doesn't get old. It doesn't get sick and it doesn't die. Mm -hmm. So while in a purely energetic state, 
you cannot experience cancer, sadness, death of a loved one, physical infirmity, mental illness, all those type of things. Now, why would it be important to experience these negative things? Mm -hmm. That's the tricky part. I don't fully understand that, but from what I've seen is that it appears to have a direct bearing onto what dimension, what frequency we go into on the other side. Um, so if you're like a Mother Teresa, you're going to go into 107.9 on the FM mm -hmm. dial. If you're Osama bin Laden, hopefully you go to, you know, like garbage can on the desktop, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, um, um, there are different frequencies. There isn't a hell per se, but there are dimensions that are less close to the light. And it also appears that we go through a series of incarnations in this in this material world until we don't need to come back here. So I'm like, okay, does that mean we get to go to heaven and hang out with God like a Michelangelo painting? And I, you know, mm -hmm. I said that once to some spirits, and and I got the distinct impression they were laughing at me, and they said, well, no, you transfer to another um, universe or another dimension or another planet, and you begin a new cycle. And I'm like, seriously? Good Lord, you know, but but then again, energies neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And energy in the journey of the soul is an eternal voyage. So so it's not necessarily a negative or a bad thing, which right. also if I could go one step further sure. and I'll back to you. Then there's the skeptics who say, yes, but there are more people alive on planet Earth today, I think it's like six, seven, maybe eight billion people, mm -hmm. um, than ever have been in human history before that. Yeah, so what? That's assuming uh, from, from their argument that Earth is a closed energetic system and that energy is not flowing in and out of Earth on a daily basis. So this probably means that other energies, other souls are coming into this material world plane to have these experiences and when they're done, they're going to move on. So when you look at that from a physics standpoint, it starts making sense. And if you look at it from a Hindu standpoint, which is the oldest religion in the world, and the Hindus said that they don't they don't buy the Genesis in the beginning. They they prefer to say in a beginning, and that it is a logical and natural progression for this world to be completely destroyed and all the life forms on it will extinguish, at least in the material sense, and then reform in another. And so so it appears that the Hindus understood the energy transfer and not being destroyed, at least in, in you know, with the technology of the day, that we now know from the study not only of Newtonian physics, but also of quantum mechanics. All right. Now I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm just excited to listen to you because and I know that um, you know, we, we try to figure things out and I, I don't think we ever can, you know, but that's okay. And even looking back at my own life, I've had plenty of hardships and struggles, but made me grow as a person and I'm in a different place. I'm able to serve others. I'm able to share, make other people's journeys better. And I think the progression of our soul, even though we don't understand, but just trust the process, you know, we can do that. Um, Anyways, I love listening to you. And last year when you gave your presentation at the Afterlife Symposium, I just wish I had that recorded and can play it over and over and over again because I love listening to you and I and what you say is really thought provoking. It makes sense. It's really interesting. So anyways, um, I want to ask you though about your books 
because um, you have two different ones and what's the difference between them and what do you talk about? And, you know, there are many of us that have a loved one in heaven or the other side. We've lost them to this earth. And I do know that you help people with grief. Uh, certainly. Um, my book, Never Letting Go, that was the first book that I wrote. It's a guide on the journey through grief. And it's inspirational with messages of love and healing from the other side. It teaches people how to recognize the signs when a, 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 um, a loved one in spirit is around them. And it has a very healing approach to it. And this book has been recommended by hospices and grief counselors all over the world. Uh, a lot of people find that when, you know, when somebody dies, you know, we give flowers, we bring a casserole, you know, we, we don't know what to do, you know, and flowers fade and food gets eaten. But uh, people have been finding that never letting go is the ideal gift because when the person's ready to, to start looking for some comfort or guidance uh, that Never Letting Go has been extremely useful. And then, uh, Sandra, when I was on the Never Letting Go tour, people started asking me some very profound questions about, you know, is there a hell? My son committed suicide. Did he go to hell? Do animals have souls? Is there a scientific basis for the afterlife and for spirit communication? How does all this work? So I started keeping track of, of the questions, and that was the the impetus for me to write Evidence of Eternity. And Evidence of Eternity bridges the gap between the spiritual and the scientific by explaining spirit communication on the basis of science, theoretical physics, human physiology, evidence, and faith. And uh, it was actually up for a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, that was such a, a humbling, and, and I mean, I'll never forget when I got the, the notification from Columbia University. I'm Congratulations. like... Congratulations. Thank you. I I thought, you know, Sandra, I thought it was one of my friends was playing a joke right. on me, yeah. you know, and, and I'm looking at the email because it came in an email. It looked awfully official. So I called the number and they go, Columbia University officer of the Pulitzer. I'm like, really? You know, so, so I was like, how can we help you? You know, so I told them and they said, yeah, and it, they were legit. Um, and it's in, uh, I think, seven different languages now. And it's uh, out on audiobook. Uh, both books are still um uh, selling very strong worldwide. In fact, they're, they're only, uh, in fact, this one, uh, not one, but several literary agencies, your books have legs. And at first I didn't know what they meant by that, but it means that they're going to continue um, being a standard in this realm. You know, like a lot of people write books um, that are very current. Yes. Um, and then it's on the clearance rack a year later. Um, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go, um, you know, you know, I want to thank the, the, the higher powers um, are going to be helping people for for many years to come. Um, and so I've been on a, a nationwide tour this year and last year and the year before, uh, and I'm working on my next book. Um, and we got a couple different working titles for it. But what I found is that people are extremely interested in the type of things that we were talking about, how quantum physics can help prove the existence of the afterlife. So yes. um, it's not going to be evidence of eternity part two. It's going to, to build on some of those concepts but go much further than that and get into uh, the nature of consciousness, um, how 
it, it exists um, and, and get into much more of the quantum uh, theory. However, what I want people to know is reading my books are not like reading a physics textbook or real estate textbook. I mean, I, I, I suffered through law school in classes where it was like watching cement hard. It was so boring. Okay. I mean, yes. federal basic income taxation, property law, civil procedure. It was like uniform commercial code. I mean, ugh, you know, it was so boring. Um, I will explain the concepts, but then illustrate them with fast moving, dramatic, sometimes funny, mm -hmm. um, very poignant stories because I believe in, in it's in my presentations. You've seen me, me do some presentations. I call it edutainment. Yes. I want people to be educated and yet entertained at the same time, you, you know, and, and uh, when I write a story, if, if, if it doesn't touch me emotionally or if it doesn't make me laugh or if it doesn't make me think, then it won't do that for my readers. So I want my readers to be engaged, entertained, educated, and, and to think. And there was something that we were talking about before the show, Sandra, and, and uh, I want to share this with the listeners. Yeah. One of the things that I like about your approach as a journalist and as a, as a, a, media, um, uh, a media journalist and an interviewer, you come from a skeptical background, and neither you nor I are telling people here today, you must believe this. What we're doing is you're interviewing me, I'm presenting my findings, my evidence, my viewpoints, and then we leave it up to the audience to decide. Some people are going to believe, some people will be open-minded, and then of course there's always negative people that, you know, they never want to to listen to anything and and they're not they're not skeptics, they're cynics. Right. A, a skeptic has an open mind and says, "Well, I don't believe, but show me the evidence and then let me decide for myself. Whereas a cynic will go around with their arms folded, real closed up. And I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Cause people say, I don't believe you can talk to spirits. So well then explain to me your vast understanding of spirit communication, frequency, electromagnetic energy transfer and, and the other side. And they look at you like, you know, so, cause you know, they don't know. <laughs> okay. And, uh, Dr. Wayne Dwyer said the highest form of ignorance is to reject something you don't know anything about. Right. So, you know, you can't just go and say, well, I don't believe that because I don't understand that. It's like, well, I don't understand how an internal combustion engine really works, but I seem to drive around in a car that uses one all the time. I don't know, you know. how my cell phone works. How, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, FaceTime can absorb my picture moving and then without wires show it somewhere else, even how we're talking right now. But it works. But it works. Yeah, because it's all energy transfer. And, you know, I mean, people say, well, I don't believe in spirit communication. It's like, really? Um, you're talking on a cell phone or rather, let's take this interview right now. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you on Skype. Okay. So I'm talking to you and, and I'm talking into a computer. So the sound wave energy coming out of my mouth, hits the, the, the plate in the speaker that I'm talking, the microphone that I'm talking to vibrates, taking the sound wave energy, turning it into mechanical energy, which then turns into electronic energy, which runs into the computer and it goes through miles and miles and miles of, of uh, metallic wires until it gets to a tower converted 
converting the electrical energy into radio wave energy, which hits a tower and then gets beamed up to a satellite network, taking the radio wave energy, turn a microwave energy, and the microwave energy bounces off the system of satellites to another satellite, which then takes a microwave energy, beaming it into radio wave energy, which turns an electrical energy, which goes through several miles to a tower, changing electrical energy back into uh, radio wave energy, which hits another tower near you, taking a, a radio wave energy into electrical energy and then pumping it out over your speaker so that the electrical energy makes the vibratory plate in your speaker vibrate, turning electrical energy into mechanical energy and mechanical energy turning a sound wave energy, which hits your eardrum. And then the eardrum is a vibratory mechanical energy, which causes the stapes bone in the middle ear to hit the eighth cranial nerve, then taking mechanical energy, turning to electrical energy, it goes into your brain and it's like, hey, Sandra, how you doing? Okay. And all of this happens at 186,000 miles, 282 miles per second. And people say, well, you can't talk to spirits. Really? How is it then that you are listening to me right. talk to you through a computer and a system of satellites? And if you would have told somebody a um, hundred years ago that we'd be doing this, they would have laughed in your face. Yes. Oh, that's fantasy. That's crazy. I don't understand that. Ergo, I don't believe that. So just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Oh, I love that description. I had to actually press the mute button to laugh out loud because it was brilliant. Oh, well, I, well, that's energies neither created nor destroyed, no. only transferred from one form to another. And we don't even think about it. We do it all the time. I mean, you get up and you say something. I mean, your brain's doing all this stuff. It's an electrical impulse and muscles and, and vocal cords and making your lungs contract and turning muscular energy into vibratory energy. And, you know, uh, we take this for granted, but this is we're all energy. And we use energy, and when we die, we will be yet another form of energy, just moving and vibrating a lot faster. Yeah, I was talking to my niece yesterday about all this world of stuff, and I'm just thinking about even our human bodies. Here we are living in the self-contained machine that you just add a little water, a little food, a little sunlight, a little exercise, and, you know, we can live a number of years. And our modern technology cannot create something like that. So why would we think that our machines like the cell phones and GPSs and all that would be smarter than we are? Why can't we believe that we can communicate and pick up pictures and send images and all this, you know, we, we're genius beings, you know? Of course we are. Well, in ye olden days before <laughs> um, caller ID, yeah. Okay. And I remember when I was a kid, the phone would ring and I'd go, oh, that's, you know, Aunt Etta. And I'd pick it up and there's Aunt Etta on the phone. All right. And, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, do you remember, you know, before there was caller ID and the phone would ring and you'd know who it was? She goes, yeah, I do remember that. I said, do you think that was just a coincidence? Mm -hmm. You know, because what's happened is we have this technology now that is encroaching upon our inner quiet and it is also inhibiting our intuitive abilities. It's like when you go outside and you see all these uh, people with earbuds in, they're riding bikes with earbuds, they're skateboarding, they're walking, they're all looking at their cell phones and I'm like, whatever happened to awareness, being aware of the world around you, is it not 
beautiful to listen to birds in the trees or be aware um, instead of having uh, ear earbuds in while you're riding your bike, being able to hear the car that may be swerving That's towards right. you, you know, and uh, let's look around instead of staring at this little device all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, when I say that people are like, yeah, you don't understand. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of do. Okay. Because um, awareness is being eroded by technology. It's funny. Um, I have to admit, I enjoyed the Harry Potter books. And I remember there was one of them. Um, it's one of the later books where Hermione said that muggles in, uh, created the internet and technology because they don't have magic. Mm. <laughs> and it, it, think about it i mean we use this miraculous technology on, on the flip side i don't i know i like having a cell phone and computer technology and all that but there must be a balance and and it's funny because you know we talk about the millennials okay well there's a new generation coming up the i generation because they're the first generation in history that have had cell phone technology from day one. Mm-hmm. In fact, today I was getting my hair cut, and this lady, her two little daughters were there. They were five and eight. And it was hysterical watching them talk to each other because one goes, oh, you've got the new iPhone, and here I am stuck with a Samsung 7 Android. <laughs> I can't believe it. And like, I'm going, God, these are little kids. you know. And so they came over, and they started talking to me, and they were showing me videos and all this stuff. And their ability to use these things was incredible. Sure. They don't even think of it as being an accomplishment it is second nature to Mm -hmm. them and i've even heard some of the i generation say to millennials oh god you millennials are so five minutes ago and i'm like cracking up you know it's like uh uh-huh very very interesting to see that this happening the question is where is it going right where is it going and will it inhibit our meditative our natural intuitive abilities instead of enhancing them. And that's the only reason I'm bringing this up. And I'm not knocking the technology. I think it's wonderful, but Mm -hmm. I think we should still learn to rely upon our intuition, our gut instinct, and our natural ability to be aware and perceive the world around us instead of blocking it, tuning it out, and blaring it with music all the time. And one would think you being a psychic medium, you're not there with your earbuds on, texting somebody, listening to music, multitasking on your computer, you're in the present moment. Is that correct? I try to be. Um, I try to be. Um, in fact, I don't use earbuds um, very seldom. Maybe when I'm on an airplane, sometimes I'll, mm-hmm. I'll listen to music just because, you know, it's you know it's it's very distracting, uh, and I travel so much. But um, I don't. Um, I used to do, um, and I still do awareness exercises where I'll go outside. Let's say I'll walk up near the beach because I live near the ocean. I'll sit down on a bench and and I close my eyes and I make a list of everything I can hear. And you'll be surprised. It's like, well, I hear seagulls, or I hear the ocean, I hear a car pulling up, I hear people in the background. Okay, I'm hearing this other noise. And and you start making a list of all the things that you can hear, even maybe your own breathing, um, maybe, and then what are the things that I'm feeling around me? And not just like the, the temperature, the heat, but what am I emotionally feeling? Is it coming from somewhere? Because we all have the ability to be somewhat empathic. You may actually like feel nervous or something like that or distressed. And what may be happening is you might be picking up somebody else's stress. 
And so that's the problem when we filter all these things out with technological devices. Uh, you talk to any first responder, anybody in the military, and they tell you about gut instinct. And that's a psychic ability. Hmm. It's like it's a feeling. It isn't logical. It comes to you. You observe it. You act on it. You go with it. Boom. You don't sit there and start picking it apart and, well, let me tune it out and Google it. You know, <laughs> you you act on it. And it's the same thing with, with intuition and with uh, a psychic and mediumistic ability. I mean, um, you've got to be able to clear your mind and use your own physical and psychic senses. Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, there's a few more things I wanted to ask you about, and I know time's going by quick, but last time I saw you speak, um, you talked about the Bible. I, I've had a lot of people fight me that the Bible doesn't talk about the afterlife, so this stuff that I'm speaking about can't possibly be true. And you blew my mind with how the Bible had been changed, and you just gave me an opening that just because something's printed doesn't mean I have to believe it. Can you just touch on that a little bit? And then also if you could touch about, I'd love to talk about um, what's coming next for you because gratefully I'm going to get to see you, but I know you're speaking at a couple of different events and uh, I'd love to know what you're speaking about and yeah. Oh, sure. Well, uh, the Bible, we could, we could do a whole, whole show just on that, but, um, uh, and I'm not insulting uh, the teachings of Jesus um, right. or, or, you know, because Jesus was, was awesome and he talked about peace and love and understanding. But, you know, people have to be very careful. I, I mean, I have a lot. I live in the South, so I hear a lot of, well, the Bible says it and I believe it. And it's like, OK. Um, but you have to realize that the first version of the Bible was ordered into existence Three in around the year 313, 315 AD. In other words, 300 years after Jesus died by the Roman Emperor Constantine because he wanted the empire to be one religion, one empire, one emperor, one set of laws. And what Constantine did is he convened the Council of Nicaea. And so the first version of the Bible was entered, was ordered into existence. Uh, the bishops throughout the Christian world, they took the Torah, the Jewish Torah, called that the Old Testament, of course, made the appropriate changes, um, and then um, got uh, all these letters and writings from Paul and, and other people. And there's actually uh, an alternate version of Genesis, which ended up in the Quran, okay, because the Muslims— wow. Um, you know, also say they come from, um, they're, they're also descendants. See, the, the Abrahamic religions, you know, the prophet Abraham, um, Judaism, Christianity, Islam are all Abrahamic religions. And I always crack up when people say, well, the Muslim God isn't our God. It's like, yeah, well, that's not what they think. Um, but at any rate, um, by the year 300, so the first version of the Bible is entered into existence. Then Constantine moves the capital of the empire from Rome to Constantinople, the city of Constantine. And this is where the squabbling starts because there were three main religious centers, Rome, Constantinople, and Alexandria, Egypt, which is a great intellectual center. And Constantinople took on a very Greek character and eventually split off into what we now know as the Greek Orthodox Church. Rome became... Um, the Roman Catholic Church, and then the Muslims, um, you know, overran Egypt, and that that was that for Alexandria being a, a, a center of Christianity. And then by the fifth century, the Byzantine Emperor, because the western half of the empire collapsed, uh, the Byzantine Emperor Justinian convened the Fifth Ecumenical Council. So within 500 years of Jesus's passing um, or in the resurrection. Um, 
were up to at least five different versions of the Bible, and then they started permutating from there, because the Greek Orthodox started to differ from the Latin Catholic, and then there's the Armenian uh, Catholic, there's the Coptic uh, Christian Egyptian Bible, there's the Ethiopian Christian Bible, there's the Thomas um, Christian Bible of India, okay, then the uh, squabbling in Western Europe, Henry VIII and Martin Luther breaking off from the Catholic Church, so now you have the Protestant versions of the Bible, so you're going from the original Old Testament written in Hebrew, and then the New Testament supposedly spoken in Aramaic, but then translated to ancient Greek, and then to medieval Greek, and then wow. from Greek into Latin, and then Latin doesn't exist, and then it goes into medieval French, and then medieval German, and then... Uh, uh, um, the Jamesian era, which is around the year 1600 of English, um, and there's like something like two dozen that we know of versions of the Bible, and every one of those people believes that theirs is the one true correct version of the Bible. Yes. And, and so when people sit there and go, well, the Bible says it, and it cracks me up because what does the word awful mean to you, Sandra? Terrible. Okay. In the Bible of Jamesian, James, um, the King James Version of the Bible, the word awful was used to refer to the awful majesty of God. Is that the terrible majesty of God, or is that the full of awe ah, majesty of full God? Full of awe, probably. Aha, yes. so this is just one word, <laughs> okay? One word that has two very different meanings. When we think of awful, we think of terrible, lousy, rotten, but in... 400 years ago, in the year 1600, when that version of the Bible was ordered into existence by James, um, awful meant in awe of, as opposed to, Ugh, you know, mm -hmm. so, so I mean, and that, that's in a nutshell, then people start saying, well, that's uh, heresy, I said, no, my friend, that is history, that that's is right. history. And I don't mean to shake anybody up if you love the Bible, because I certainly love Jesus and parts of the Bible and all that, and to empower me in my life. But there are people out there that are so, um, think what we're doing is talking to the devil, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, just to understand it's, yeah, it's a piece of history. Well, the reason they say that is from the book of Samuel when King Saul, okay, Saul, very important figure in religious uh, history and, and in world history because he united the kingdom of Judea, okay, and his son Jonathan was supposed to be the next king, but then his friend David, and uh, it's funny when they talk about how David and Jonathan loved each other and there may have been something going on there, like, oh, no, you know, but at any rate, okay, so, so Saul is really having a bad time, so he consults with the witch of Endor, who is a medium, and she brings forth the spirit of the prophet Samuel. And Samuel tells Saul that his time is at an end, and and so then Saul is defeated in battle. I think he takes his own life. His sons are slain. And so the rabbinical community of ancient Judea said, aha, see what happens when you talk to those people? It is evil. It is demonic. On the other hand, was it not the will of God for David to become the king of Judea? And was not Jesus descended from David through his mother Mary? <laughs> mm. Mm. 
So maybe the spirit of the prophet Samuel was merely telling Saul that, you know, God works in mysterious ways. You did what you were supposed to do, and now it's time for you to exit stage left because David's taking center stage. And then David's son, Solomon, builds the temple, okay, which the only remains of it pretty much are the Wailing Wall. And boy, has that been a bone of contention between Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Mm -hmm. But... But that was extremely important, okay? Jesus taught at the temple, then the Romans eventually destroyed it because, you know, they had a hissy fit with, uh, with uh, you know, the Jews revolting against them in 79 AD. But, but, um, but you know, you, you cannot say what you're doing is evil because then when you look to the book of, of uh, Romans, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. We all have gifts from God. If your gift is one of prophecy, you shall prophesize. Um, if your gift is to comfort others, then you shall do it cheerfully. Okay. So what they're saying is, if you have these abilities, you should use them, but use them for the highest of purposes. And there's other passages in the Bible, in Timothy and Corinthians, uh, that also uh, support that. So if you want to yank things out of the Bible and people go, oh, mediums are not a god, it's in Leviticus, and it's like in Deuteronomy, it's like, yeah, well, in those books, it also says if your neighbor works on the Sabbath, he shall be put to death. Right. So let's assume that your neighbor is a real estate agent, works on Sunday. When he comes home, then you're supposed to shoot him in the head. Is that what they, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. You know, and if your daughter's menstruating and walks into a temple, she shall be stoned. <sighs> okay. I know. Yes. Once again, we take the words that empower us to live a good life. And we use that as a tool, just like these interviews and your book and everything. Let's talk about what you're up to next, because you, uh, we got the book coming up, but you're also doing some speaking events, and I'd love to hear about those. I am. I'm going to be in uh, Seattle, and on August 28th, uh, I will be at the East West Bookshop for an evening of spirit communication. And then through the 30th through the 2nd, I'll be the keynote speaker, one of them, at the International Association Near-Death Studies in Seattle. Uh, and I'll be speaking, my topic is, May the Force Be With You, Near-Death Experiences and Interdimensional Communication. Cool. And I will be explaining how... Uh, near-death experiences are transformative, change people, and have influence uh, on all of us, not just those who have them. And there's going to be a lot of secrets and surprises that I'm not going to give away on that. And then um, I'm going to be at the AREI, the Afterlife Research Education Institute, in September in, in Scottsdale, and I'll be speaking on rulers, royals, psychics, and spirits, the mystics behind the thrones. And uh, what I talked about with King Saul, that's part of it, um, I'm going to uh, explain how people of power throughout history have relied upon psychic advisors, including one-third of U.S. presidents. Ooh. Oh, yeah, and on both sides of the aisle. So we, <laughs> both sides of the aisle. Wow. And then, yes, and then on, um, and, and then on Sunday... The 16th of September. Um, the 16th of September at 2 o'clock, I'll be doing an afternoon of spirit communication. Um, my spirit communication, is, that, that means I'll be connecting random audience members with loved ones in spirit. It's very positive. It's very uplifting. It's a healing session. And if people would like to find out about these, please visit my website, which is evidenceofeternity.com, just like my, my, my book, evidenceofeternity.com, and it'll pretty much tell you everything that's going on with me. So I love it. And although I can't visit you in Seattle, 
I will be there in September at the Afterlife Symposium. And that website is afterlifesymposium.org. And there's no place I'd rather be than in the audience when you speak. And then also I will be there on the Sunday afternoon. I think it's from, is it from two to four? It is from two to four. Yes, and uh, yeah, Sunday I'm, afternoon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And um, we're, we're in discussions now with the unity of Tucson. So I may also be in Tucson after the 16th for um, spirit communication as well. So, um, and Sandra, I want to thank you for having me on the show. It's always fun. Uh, I look forward to returning and I can't wait to see you in, in Arizona next month. I know it goes by so fast. And for our listener, I really want to thank you for listening. I encourage you to pick up a copy of Mark's books. They're really great. It's like talking to a passionate friend who keeps you entertained and he's very thought provoking and it is very healing. I know there's a book when pregnant ladies are pregnant, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and the average pregnant woman gets four to six copies. And I would love it if someone would hand a book, never letting go to someone who you don't know what to do when someone's lost a loved one and this is something you can do and even pick it up for yourself it's great and you can find out more about mark and his upcoming appearances and his books and um, links to interviews and things on evidenceofeternity.com and as a reminder um, the afterlife symposium is just about to sell out uh, the maximum amount of people there is just about 800 and i think we're at 750 so far almost double the size of last year where you'll find over 30 different speakers including me i'll be there and mark and uh, a whole bunch of other cool people you can find out more at afterlifesymposium.org and i know a lot of people go to get some evidence that their loved ones are around. And I know on the website there are um, sometimes that you can book one-on-ones with mediums, but I know going to the gallery event, which will be 2 to 4 p.m. on the Sunday with Mark, you can find that on the workshop page. But it's one of those times where, it, yeah, it's a great opportunity. You might get a reading yourself, but sometimes when you hear someone get something so specific about their loved one, that I can only imagine that there's hundreds of loved ones in the invisible space right there, you know, waving at Mark, like, pick me next. Um, but just to know that your loved one, even though they might not come through, they're right there as well. So to witness um, an opportunity, I think, to spend with Mark Anthony, who is just a really gifted, fabulous psychic medium. And as you know, is a wonderful person. I really wholeheartedly recommend you attend his event 2 to 4 p.m. on the Sunday. And I will be there. So you will see me in the audience and outside and everything. So I'm going to conclude this show and just thank you for listening. Home base of this show is we don't die radio.com. Now we have 270 episodes, over 270 hours of great conversations, very thought provoking about why you can comfortably uh, not only believe in the afterlife, but get some help through grief and know that you are a soul with a purpose and your life is important and there's only one of you and um, and you're special. So I've got some free gifts there for you as well. So in closing, I'd like to thank our guest, Mark Anthony. I'd like to thank you, our listener. My name is Sandra Champlain and I'm always so grateful that I get to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I personally do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So thank you for listening, my friend, and we'll see you soon.